This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my amazing, amazing, amazing co-host, Bree Tucker. Why, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello. Oh, you got the echo too. Yeah. Like, amazing, amazing. Oh, you started amazing. it. So I was like, hey, I got I to gotta finish that up. So there yeah, you go. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're just getting back to things today. I, this weekend, I went on a plane trip for the very first time since COVID started. And how was that? I was so scared. I was so scared. Like I, I'm always scared of planes anyways. Like turbulence freaks me out so much so that before plane trips, it's almost like I seek out flight attendants. And I'm like, talk to me about turbulence and why you're not scared. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. Like it was my uh, daughter's, uh, she was at a cheer game and we were all like six feet apart in the gym. And I just managed to talk to this one woman and she was a flight attendant for Southwest. Oh my goodness. And I kind of grilled her. I'm like, okay, so, and she described turbulence as they're potholes in the sky. There's nothing dangerous about them. But that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, but it was still, it was windy and we had some turbulence on that flight. And I was here trying not to freak out because my daughter would freak out. It's very hard to keep it together when you are so scared of turbulence, but you're trying not to freak out your kid who's also scared of turbulence next to you. I think that is the the badge of courage of all parents, but especially moms holding our crap together when we are scared senseless of what's happening. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's funny because I let it slip like at the end and I'm like, oh yeah, I was a little scared that we we're gonna have turbulence. And she turned to me like really quick. She's like, you were scared? And one, I was like, shoot. But two, I was like, wow, I did a pretty good job holding that together there. Like, she didn't realize I was scared. And, and from that story, what I'm taking is what a good job you did of showing her that you can be scared and still make it through. Yeah. Like, you're like, yeah, I was scared. But hey, I managed to hold it together pretty well, didn't I? And this is these were the techniques I used. And blah, blah, blah. So she knows for the future. I don't even know what technique I used. I was just like, must not show my fear. <laughs> 
That's the only technique. I'm trying to think. Like my only technique is like think about anything else. Think about anything else. So my my kids know that when I'm scared of uh, because mine are heights, I Mm -hmm. make them talk to me. Oh about yeah! Whatever. You I don't about whatever. I don't care. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't care what it is. Talk to me about whatever because it gets my mind off of it, and I can work my way through it on autopilot. Oh, well, that's interesting. But not all fears are like that. You can't always do autopilot. No, like you. Well, you try, but then it's hard. It's really hard. I had to on the flight back. We went. We had dinner at a Mexican restaurant, and I ordered a margarita. <laughs> and know? I have to say, just having that one margarita before the flight helped. helped me keep it together just a little bit better. Well, talking about fears today, yes, our guest talks about a fear that I have, college. college. Paying for college. It is a big fear. College is expensive, like even more expensive than when we went to school. Right? Like it, we talk about a lot of different things in the episode, but my experience with college was that my parents were able to pay for it. Mm-hmm. I went to a... Fairly affordable school because yes. in Missouri, uh, you throw a rock and you hit a university. <laughs> there is like 10 public universities in that state. It is insane. So yeah, my parents paid for it easily each semester. Well, not easily. I take that. No, they but they were able to do it without taking out any loans. So I, I am blessed that I don't have and didn't have the student loan debt to pay off. Yeah, I was told from when I was a very young kid that I I had to get a scholarship to go to college. And like, these were the terms my dad set out. And I swear he started talking to me about this when I was seven. So like it was ingrained in me from a very young age. He's like, we are not going to pay for your school. You could stay at home and you can go to the U of A. We might pay for that. If you stay home, we don't have to pay for anything else. Mm -hmm. But you need a scholarship to go anywhere else. And I think I was like, oh, shoot. And then he said, and you shouldn't take out any loans because they're going to be horrible to pay back. And I'm like, dad, dad. And I like saw... During college, all my friends take out loans and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, but he was right. Like, I didn't have any debt coming out of school. I got a tuition waiver to pay for my college. I got to go. Uh, I was the trader, and I left uh, Tucson and went to ASU. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> for those of you that aren't from Arizona, it, the, our state, like, yeah. we have three public universities, but it's pretty much just two. It's, I mean, I love NAU, and I would. It's I was beautiful, considering NAU, but the state is pretty much divided into you're either a. U of A person, University of Arizona, or you're an Arizona State University person. Well, those person. are the sports teams. Because, I mean, those are the two universities with the big sports but influence. I, and I use the Lumberjacks. I mean, Lumberjacks aren't going to do anything. Sorry, oh, Lumberjacks. I was a Lumberjack for high school. That was our, yeah. our thing. So that's why I kind of like I have a spot in my heart for NAU because of that. But but the whole college process is very stressful. It is. For everybody involved. Um, not just in terms of money, but even like kids today have these fears of even getting accepted into college because it's become so competitive. Oh, I know, right? And there's been a lot of talk lately about their recent development where they are, the universities have decided to put aside the need for Mm -hmm. the ACT or the SAT, the standardized test to get into college admissions for at least the next year Mm -hmm. due to the pandemic. And I'm really hoping, fingers crossed, that becomes like an ongoing thing because the stress of that test is unbelievable it is unbelievable it is and I I, I firmly believe that your scores on a test one day does not reflect your ability and or your your skill set and in the no. I, I just don't feel like it's as accurate. I not just at don't. all. And it's only looking at one part of a person. It's looking at their academic mentality. It's not looking at the whole person of like how how like empathetic they are or how like giving they are or how much they persevere. Like it doesn't look at that. Or and their all goals of those, and dreams. Yes, all of those things mm-hmm. are like what 
make people successful, it is not just academic skills. Right. So, but, but our guest Ron Lieber today, <laughs> we're like, we're, we can, we can go on we this can forever. We have a whole philosophical people. conversation we can, we can about go this. totally off like topic. But Ron Lieber, he was such a joy to talk to you. Oh my God, I loved that interview. Because specifically <laughs> in this interview, we really get into the guilt and like the snobbery and elitism that comes with college and with paying for college and with getting into college. Um, and he was so funny. Like I just, he was great. So if you don't know Ron Lieber, he is the author of The Price You Pay for College and he's the New York Times Your Money columnist. He was born in Chicago and lives in New York City. He's the father of two daughters, six and 14 currently and he's the author of the opposite of spoiled which i was a fan of before he came out with this new book the price you pay for college an entirely new roadmap for the biggest financial decision your family will ever make and we hope you enjoy our conversation with ron lieber this episode is brought to you by our sibling adventure log. Oh my gosh. So summer is coming and you may feel like you are all tapped out of activities after going through like a year of pandemic and having them be at home the whole year. Well, you need to pick up our sibling adventure log. It is completely free and it has five missions that encourage your kids to be kinder, more appreciative, and play with each other in a really positive way. So you can go get that at noguiltmom.com backslash sibling dash adventure dash log. And now on with the show. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids. And we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Welcome, Ron, to the No Guilt Mom podcast. We're so happy to have you here and with us. And like, I got so excited when you were coming on because I read the opposite of spoiled and I used the opposite of spoiled as a reference in a lot of my blog posts like a few years ago. And just to get me like, I was writing about entitled kids and how to like not raise an entitled child. So your book was extremely helpful to me. So welcome, welcome. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I was going to say, and I think it's amazing how well this, your, your book that you have out now, The Price You Pay for College is also a great fit it because is. we both are starting to think about college for our kids. So talk about great timing. Thank you so much for writing books that fit our schedule. <laughs> it's always us, always about us. <laughs> yeah. Well, glad to be of service. I mean, part of this is, is self-service because I've got a ninth grader myself and a kindergartner. So, you know, I'm doing it all again. Uh, with the first book, but we are now preparing for our oldest uh, to begin that whole crazy process of of college selection and and hunting and shopping as well. It's a lot. Like I, my daughter is in seventh grade, so we're a few years down the road. But I imagine that it's going to get a little more stressful. So I am so fortunate that we now have your book for guidance. But before we get into it, tell us a little bit about you and your background. Sure. So I'm the Your Money columnist for the New York Times. That's my day job. Um, but in my other life, I write books. And The Price You Pay for College is my fifth book. 
my first book was a book that encouraged people to take gap years between high school and college. And the most recent one before the price you pay for college was called The Opposite of Spoiled. And it's all about how and when and why to talk to kids about money and what to say when you do and how money conversations are, are actually values conversations in disguise, starting at the age of three or four and all the way up through adulthood. We 100% endorse that as well. We've talked about that too, the importance of having these conversations with your kids at an early age, right? I mean, it just makes it a natural progression as they get older. And, and it makes it so that when they get older, they're not as likely to be one of those people that wants to hide their head in the sand and not talk about finances and not be and and just not be aware mm-hmm. of this big piece of adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. I know that money for me, like I wasn't talked about to you about money as a kid and it's still a struggle for me to get over just money being tied to something emotional versus money being like a tool that you use to serve your own values. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, such important conversations to have with kids. Uh, With The Price You Pay for College, your most recent book, what inspired you to write that? Hey, all, it is Joanne and Brie here, and we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Where do I even start? I mean, part of it for me starts back in high school when I was applying for need-based financial aid myself. And my mom and I encountered this guy who it turned out was the assistant director of financial aid at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois at the time, 
who had this side gig where you would go see him after hours and hand him a small pile of cash. And he would explain to you all the secrets of the financial aid system and how it worked. And with his help, uh, I got into Amherst College, early decision. Uh, I got a great financial aid package and managed to pay all the debt back in, in a decade without too much hassle. And it was a real lesson for me that there are complex systems involving money all over the place, that there's usually a grown-up around somewhere who knows how to beat the system. And if you can just find your way to that grown-up, maybe pay them a little bit of money, you too can beat the system. So you know, it's no wonder, I guess, that I grew up to be a personal finance journalist whose beat is beating the system effectively, right? So then I became a parent myself in 2005, became obsessed with you know, how to pay for college I, and, and how to save for college. And so I started writing in 2005, back when I was at the Wall Street Journal, about 529 plans and savings, and then caught up and got caught up in all the student loan coverage that a lot of us started doing, you know, a little more than a decade ago. And I still do that to this day. But here's what changed: I wasn't aching to do another book after the last one, but right around the time that that last one came out, my inbox, my voicemail started to fill up in increasing volume each and every spring with a whole bunch of real smart parents who had nevertheless missed out entirely on how the money part of college has changed completely from when we all went. And the stories always went something like this. Ron, I didn't really understand that we weren't going to be eligible for any need-based aid. I, I didn't believe it, frankly, because you know, we quote unquote, only earn $250,000 a year. And I couldn't really believe that the schools were going to ask me to pay 75, right? But they are. Mm -hmm. And now we can't do it. And we're not sure what to say to our kids. And then we've got offers from, you know, a, a safety school offering us this merit aid. We don't know what merit aid is. And we're beginning to suspect that we don't actually understand what has just happened to us. And is there something you can do to help us out? And it's like April 12th or something, right? So at that point, there's not a whole lot I can do to help. And it became clear to me that all of these people for all of their smarts and success in you know other parts of life, uh, running organizations or helping run organizations that you would actually have heard of, right? Nobody had stopped to explain to them how the financial aid and merit aid and discounting system actually works. And their college counselors weren't doing it and their fellow parents had filled their heads with inaccurate information. And it became clear to me that people needed an education about the education. And I wasn't going to be able to do it in five or 10 newspaper columns for the New York Times. And so that's how it started. That's amazing. And it's funny that you you mentioned that you paid a guy a sum of money and he, he walked you through the things because immediately my mind went to the college scandal that happened a few uh -huh. years ago with like with that same kind of thing. And obviously there are differences, but I think it goes back to many parents just do not feel like they can get their kids into school using the like established means of getting them in, which causes them to do these insane, insane things instead of really educating themselves about the merit-based aid available and the financial aid available. So, uh, so it's interesting that, that your mind went there. There are some fascinating parallels, right? I mean, we literally knew a guy who knew a guy, 
Like that's how we got to the guy, right? Yeah. The guy told us to come in the side door at 501 p.m. <laughs> of the financial aid office at Northwestern University, just in case any of his colleagues were still around. We paid him cash on the barrel. I'm sure he didn't report it to the IRS, right? So were any lines drawn or any lines crossed? I think he would not have spoken to us if we were actually applying to Northwestern. I, you know, he was an ethical dude, right. I think, in that respect. He did not tell us to cheat or lie. What we were paying for access to was information. You know, we were paying for granular understanding of what each of the lines of what was then known as the FAF form, now known as FAFSA, what each of those lines actually meant and were for. And were there things that you could do legitimately, legally, without committing fraud ahead of time to make yourself look just a little bit more needy. In other words, eligible for more grants that you wouldn't have to pay back. There's nothing illegal or unethical about that, right? But if you take a step back from that, there's something pretty insane about a system that requires people, particularly lower income people, to jump through all of these hoops to gain an understanding of a system that need not be this complex in order to afford to go to a school that probably ought to be subsidized by the government a little bit more so nobody has to do all this bullshit. Amen. Yes! Amen. Yes. I'm over here like just holding my mouth shut so you could get through it because I'm like, yes, yes, hallelujah. I mean, like, like you say in your book, times have changed so much from what we went through. Right. And what I'm describing is 1988, 2021. I mean, God help us. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, you, you asked the question, like, you know, shouldn't people just be able to sort of figure this out and do their homework? And it yeah. is possible. It is possible for a parent with a lot of privilege, a lot of time on their hands, a lot of access, right? to crack the code on this on their own. It is possible, right? It is possible, though though not likely, that you'll end up in a school as a family with a college counselor who, when that counselor is done with all of the you know enormous task of just trying to sort out fit for each student in their charge, right? That they will also, in their own spare time with hour 64 and 72 and 89 of the week, also help you figure out the financial side, but probably not, right? You're no, on your own. Right. We're on our own. I wish my book did not have to exist, but I sort of felt like I had no choice because we weren't having the right conversations around this. People were not educated yeah. about how the, the process worked. It was not their fault. I needed to fix that. And that's just the baseline, right? That's before you start to begin to contemplate the question of, well, what should we pay for this, Right. Right? What is our ability to pay? What is our willingness to pay? Is there a gap between that? How do we navigate that as a family? And, and then how do we go shopping based on those parameters? Right? This wasn't mm -hmm. stuff that I could sort out in the newspaper. And I, and I wished the system wasn't so complicated that, that I had to figure it, figure it out in 313 pages. It should not be necessary. It should not be necessary, not at all. And um, when I was reading your book, what struck me is that how much easier it is to get into a good school when you already have connections at that school, when your family already has the money, and how incredibly difficult it is if you don't have any of those connections. It just continues with the gap. Yeah. It just continues to accentuate the gap we already have going. So a lot of parents, like you say that they have a lot of unhelpful feelings when it comes to the college process. 
what could parents kind of do about those feelings? And first, like, what are those feelings that are kind of butting up against parents when they're thinking about colleges for their kids? Yeah. And so when I describe them as unhelpful, which I do, it is not to, you know, cast blame or shame, right? The system seems almost custom designed to make us feel things. Some of the things that we feel are not helpful when it comes to taking a clear-headed approach to figuring out what we ought to pay for all of this for our precious children, right? So I just want to name that phenomenon because nobody was talking about it, right? And just to step back for a second, I keep an equation above my workspace. It's a framed equation and it just says money equals feelings, right? So any financial conversation, let alone this one, has to always start with a sort of recitation of that fact, right? Anytime you're making a financial decision, there are going to be feelings involved, emotions, right? That's just how it goes. And the only harm in that is not acknowledging it, right? So fast forward to the college question, and here's what you've got you've got a really large amount of money, at least at the list prices. You've got a super complex system that is at least partially obscured and hard to figure out. And then the decision that you're making is about launching your precious child or children out into the world. That is a toxic stew for intense feelings that can potentially be unhelpful and lead you astray, right? So like that's the kind of like warning preamble that like we really need to be emotionally honest with ourselves about what's going on here. So what emotions are we talking about? Well, we're talking about three emotions. We're talking about fear right? This like intense, almost primal fear that if we as parents, if we do it wrong, our kids will go tumbling down the social class ladder that we have spent all these years or decades or generations kind of clambering up as best as we can, right? And just about all of us, unless we have giant piles of inherited wealth or our like tenured faculty members or something, or, you know, federal judges with lifetime appointments, we are hanging on for dear life, maybe not even recognizing that our knuckles are turning white, right? As we attempt to just like keep hold of what we have in this crazy economic environment amid a public health crisis, right? So we're afraid, right? We're afraid that if we screw this up, if we send them to the wrong place, if they do the wrong thing once they're there, you know, we're afraid that they will not have what we have or achieve what we've achieved and that they will suffer for it. So that's number one, fear. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. 
I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Guilt. Where do we even start with this? There's so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I, right. Uh, I, I mean, you two should deliver this part of the, the soliloquy, right? I mean, working on it just like everyone else. (laughs) I mean, we don't earn enough so that our kid or kids can make whatever choice they want or need without having to think about money. And that's our fault. Guilt that we did not save enough because we spent a whole bunch of money on whatever it is that we spent a whole bunch of money on five minutes or five hours or five years or 15 years ago. And now we don't have enough so that we don't have to worry about it. Guilt that we are not doing what our parents did for us. Guilt that Mm -hmm. even if we have the ability to pay or the ability to borrow, and it is actually relatively easy to borrow the entire cost of attendance at any school in the United States, because the federal government quite strangely makes that opportunity available to us. Guilt that we are unwilling to borrow, right? Or guilt that our ability to pay does not match our our willingness to do so because maybe our kids are making us feel guilty about whatever constraints that we are placing on this process. Guilt, guilt, guilt. Um, There are so many one-way itineraries to super nasty guilt trips that we need to get ourselves off of. And then number three is the snobbery and elitism that can you know easily invade this process and it's everything from our own insecurities about the facebook sweatshirt reveal on you know april 30th to our kids insecurities about not wanting to look or feel lesser if they have chosen a school that nobody in Arizona has heard of, even if it's like five times better than Arizona State, right? Then there's other people's snobbery and elism, right? You know, do we want to take our kid who is like a genius coder and pay up and spend up so they can go to Caltech Instead of the free ride at Barrett at the Honors College at ASU, right, Arizona State University. Barrett Honors, right? do we, yep. Do we want to <laughs> pay do we want to pay up for that? Because when our genius coder daughter is ready to go get venture capital money, we know she will be discriminated against because sexism, and therefore she needs to have that Caltech three semesters 
under her belt at, you know, $40,000 a semester because when she drops out and goes to Sand Hill Road, you know, in Palo Alto to look for the venture capital money, that Caltech degree will mean more than the Arizona State degree will, that that Caltech experience. And because she'll be discriminated against on the basis of her gender, without a doubt, right, we need to give ourselves over to other people's elitism to protect her. You know, this chapter on snobbery and elitism really triggered me because I got a a degree from Arizona State and then I moved out to Los Angeles wanting to be in the entertainment industry. And I did not know at the time how the, and you're you're like, yeah, this viewing smile, you're like, oh, I'm interested. He's like, I know how this went down. I, I did not know at the time how revered the big schools were in the entertainment industry. So like, as I was going for my first job, I found this like job list that was passed to me by someone I worked with here in Arizona. And I just went on internships, even though I had a college degree, I went on internship interviews and one person like just, oh, I'm so grateful for her. She's like, I know the head of the mailroom in Endeavor. Like you could go and you could work in the mailroom. And, and so you're like, excuse me. Well, yeah. Well, I went over and I knew this was how it worked. Like you worked uh, up. I went over there and he hired me. But there were two positions in the mailroom. There was a staffer position, which anyone could get. And then there was the floater position, which was the mailroom position that went onto a desk to serve an agent. Floater positions only went to kids who went who came from like high end schools. So all the Ivy Leagues were floaters. All the like prestigious colleges were floaters. And um, I fought and I got onto a desk, but it was like through the scrappiest way possible. So I was like, so like, oh my gosh, all these Ivy League schools. Like, what are and, you so much and you go to an Ivy League school just to be in the mailroom? Yeah, but no, you're not there for long. This. But still, <laughs> Rob's like, I got to add. <laughs> so the snobbery thing, still, I did find a way in, but it was a little more difficult than my peers. <laughs> you had to fight. And, you know, other people might have been discouraged. And it was because of somebody else's ridiculous you know, elitism about who was deserving and who wasn't. It's like, what's your problem? You know, it's it's like you're hiring a bunch of 23 year olds and you're making decisions on them based on whatever it was that was on their college application when they were 17. Right. And the snobbery and elitism of the gatekeepers at these schools that were keeping an eye on the 17 year olds. Are you nuts? Right. What kind of way is that to run an organization? No, right, not. right. God, I, and mine was, yeah, I had the same thing because I actually came from another state. So I went to school in Missouri where you throw a rock and you hit a college. They're not all the same, but you hit a college. And then we're out here in Arizona and there's three. I came out here and I could have, everybody was like, what college is that? Is that, is that a real college? What? Let me look at that <laughs> degree that again. a real college? <laughs> I know. I was like, okay, like, well yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. So if you could give parents one piece of advice uh, about college, what would you say? I guess start sooner and, and learn more. And by starting sooner, I think it's it's intensely important to have a whole series of conversations with your spouse, if you have one, with your ex for sure, if you've got one of those, because that can be contentious and you want to try and get on the same page. And if you're flying solo, then you know somebody else smart who's in your orbit to make sure that you are in touch with whatever it was that happened with or to you when or if you went to college and how you experienced both the 
you know, academic and the residential experience, but also the financial experience? Like what memories do you have, if any, of that that are painful? And if part of your goal is to keep your kids from experiencing whatever pain that you did, then that needs to go into your calculations at the earliest possible moment, like when they're in diapers or preferably in utero, right? About like what you're saving and and how you're you're thinking about that. And then there needs to be, you know, a different set of conversations roundabout when your first or only kid is is in middle school, you know, where you, again, say to yourself or to your spouse or to your ex, sort of what kind of trajectory do we think we're on here in terms of saving, in terms of earning, in terms of what we're going to be able to pay and what we're going to be willing to pay? Because you can't really do any shopping, right? You can't really have any conversations with your own kid until you're straight in your own head or heads about where it is you're at on all this stuff. So there's like a lot of, there's a lot of work that has to be done ahead of time um, before you even begin to engage with your kid on this. And again, I, I wish it was different, but you know, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars per kid, potentially. This is after taxes, right? And you know, essentially all at once, right? It's not like buying a house and paying for it over 30 years. It's not the same thing, right? So it, it does require you know, this much work and this much thought. And I fear that a lot of people are not putting enough in on the front end. I agree. And I think part of it too is like you talked about the importance of having that money conversation at a young age, making it an ingrained part of your family and your culture, because a a lot of us, like, again, my family, we didn't talk a lot about money growing up and Mm -hmm. I'm not the only one in my family that likes to do the whole, like, we'll just stick our head in the sand or pretend like this isn't really (sighs) happening and maybe it'll all work out. (laughs) Yeah. That never works out. It doesn't. Why does that not work? (laughs) I don't know why. So Ron, we asked this of all of our guests. Uh, what's your favorite hack to make kids more self-sufficient? My favorite hack is the use of allowance and perhaps a much more generous one than you might have ever thought possible because, or, or than you might have ever thought appropriate, right? Because the object of the game, according to my theory, right, ought to be to put yourself in a spot by the time they're, let's call it 12 or 13 years old, where they are never asking you for any money ever. And the only time you are buying things for them is when it's on their birthday or during the holiday season. So how do you accomplish that? Well, it means that all of their clothes, all of their athletic equipment, you know, anything that they might need, and at least some of what they want, comes out of an allowance that's maybe higher than you ever possibly might have thought it could or should be, right? But if all of that stuff is thrown in to a giant pile of money, and then it's theirs to manage, well, then it's theirs to manage, right? And no bailouts. So, I mean, think about it in terms of like, underwear and outerwear, right? You know, if you live in a foul weather climate, you know, it's pretty important that your kid have the right gear. And so you set a budget for that and and, and hand it over. Now, you know, if your kid wants to buy their underwear at Old Navy for, you know, $10 for 10 pairs of briefs, great. And if you've got a kid who is, you know, dead set on buying their underwear at Victoria's Secret, well, they can do that too, as long as Victoria's Secret's not on the banned item list, right? They can do that too, but it might cost five times as much, at which point they're going to need to go to Goodwill to get the you know required 
rain jacket or whatever, right? But, you know, these are trade-offs that we want them learning to make themselves. And so, you know, you, you set the figure at the beginning of the year, you talk about all the things that they need, and then you hand it over, right? And what happens with extras? Well, again, right, that should be on them. And the big idea is to set an amount where they can get all of the things that they need. If you're lucky enough to be able to afford all the things they need, they can get all the things they need within reason and some of what they want, but not so much that they don't have to make a lot of really hard choices all the time. Trade-offs, right? Because that's what grown-ups do. That's what we do often without even thinking about it. And if nothing else, we are in the business of producing grown-ups. And to me, this is the way to do it. Yes. And I love that because you also have this amount of failure built in, like you're allowing them to fail at this little, little yep. thing right now uh, that they can learn the lesson now. It won't affect them too much. And when they get to be an adult and managing their own money, they'll be like, oh, remember that time when I was a kid that yeah. I didn't have enough to buy underwear? There's nothing, there's nothing worse than them making that first failure when they have that first credit card. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Exactly. Right. I mean, we want them screwing up while the stakes are still relatively low and it won't wreck their credit. And also it's just like, mm -hmm. it's uproariously funny to watch, right? You know, they'll mess up <laughs> like a hundred different ways. And at least like 14 of them will be completely unpredictable and high comedy. High comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and you could just look and be like, oh, that's too bad. Okay. <laughs> so what do you have coming up for you that you're really excited about? I mean, like all of us, I just want to get out again. <laughs> I want to get I out. I, I want to get I want to get out of town. I was just looking. I mean, I'll just sum it up for you. I uh, I had a piece drop this morning in um, I've, I've got a story in the new issue of Town and Country magazine about colleges and how colleges, some of them will try to spend a lot of money to become luxury products. And when, if ever, a, a college can transition from being a luxury product to a luxury brand and what the difference is between those two. So basically kind of comparing colleges to watches um, in, in, in a lot of ways. Anyway, they did a, a little bit about me on the contributors page of the magazine. And they asked me about a couple of things that I'm looking forward to. And I noted that uh, I'm going to try to run my first marathon in October in, uh, in Chicago, which is my hometown. And then my wife and I are trying to get to Israel. And there's a particular spa that we want to go just chill out at for a couple of days. And I realized looking at the contributors page this morning that, oh my God, those two things are actually in the same week. Like, I didn't realize that the marathon was the same week that we thought we were going to Israel. And I'm like, uh, how, how am I going to pull that off? And then I was like, who cares? I'm going to go freaking everywhere as soon as I have <laughs> yeah. needles in both my arms. Like, I'm just going. Um, our kids can fend for themselves. <laughs> yeah, let the kids fend for themselves. It's all good. <laughs> well, it, it has been wonderful having you on. Thank you so, so much for joining us. And we'll talk to you soon. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Ron Lieber was just, he was so funny. I know, right? I have to admit, when we were doing this one, I'm like, okay, so we're going to be talking like real hardcore about finances, which is not my forte. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be very serious. And he was a fun time, he man. He was so fun. <laughs> and you know, he had that sign above his desk. Do you remember when he panned up to it? It's like money equals emotions. 
I think it said something like money equals emotions. Um, and it's so true because so much of money, it's not just like financial, like uh, spreadsheets and lists. It's really about values and the emotions and the guilt that comes with it and tackling all of those things. Well, and I do think it's true to even say that money evokes so much emotion out of mm-hmm. you, like spending it, not spending it, saving it, having the right amount. And like, and we talked about the college scandal, <laughs> yeah, which <I> <laughs> cracked me up. Because <laughs> what he was describing with the back room and the opening and the knock five times. And I was like, I'm like, is this legal? But it is. I mean, what he right. was saying, it was completely legal. But How he had someone help him with like yeah. admissions and scholarships. What I want to know where that person is. So hey, if you were listening out there in <laughs> podcast land, whomever you are back there behind the dark door that can help me figure out how to find the scholarships I need for my kids to get them into college. <laughs> I'm knocking. Come knocking. Whatever it Bree takes, needs I'm your help. Oh, and I need it like dumbed down, man. Like <laughs> I, I need it where like you give me the website link and you tell me the exact answers for each question because it needs to be as simple as possible. Like I remember the passport thing. I've been trying oh, yeah. to get my passport renewed, mm-hmm. like or not renewed. I, my name changed. So I have to get it fixed. And I've been so scared to do it because I'm like, the directions aren't clear enough. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I it's really hard sometimes that. get dealing with government agencies because a lot of people like when you go to a government agency, I don't know if this has been like your experience as well, but some people are very, very helpful. But those people who are really, really helpful seem to be few and far between because most people appear to like either like think that you did not do the work you're supposed to do and did not fill out form 24C the correct way. And now you have to go back to the end of the line. Like, do you ever, like, yes. it's just, oh, yes. my heart starts beating whenever I have to deal with like a federal yes. or state department. Which I think is part of the whole issue with this whole like college thing. Like, yes. it is so scary and intimidating. Scary. There's so many like little loopholes and roads that you have to go through. And I think that that's what makes it so hard and why we just push it, push it away. I know. Push I it know. under the rug. But Ron was great. Yes. Yes. We hope that you uh, liked our conversation with Ron Lieber. And hey, we really want to hear from you. So if you have ideas for episodes or maybe you just have like a struggle that you need some inspiration on how to fix, email us. Email us at hello at noguiltmom.com and we will make sure to create an episode about it. Or find like the person who we need to find. Yes, yes. We love that kind of stuff for sure. So if you like this episode with Ron Lieber, definitely go out and get his book. It's on sale right now. The Price You Pay for College. It's an amazing, amazing book. And you know what else I loved about it? The format. He wrote it where each chapter is like a short New York Times article. So even Bree, who has a short attention span, was able to get to the chapters no problem because they were all just a few pages each. Yeah, I like that. Loved that format. So remember, the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for stopping by. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.